Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. You feel that? You feel that energy, friends. You see it. You know it. It's there. You can almost touch it. The battle is underway. Who's going to be running this country for the next four years? What's that going to mean for your freedom, your safety, your bank account, your everything? You name it, right? Your kids schooling. There's a lot that's affected by this. I wish we could say we live in a country where no one has to pay attention to who the government is, who's running it, at least. Uh, But that's not the case. As we know, it's. A big deal, big difference. Wars can be started for the wrong reasons. Wars can be lost. Economies can collapse and crash. It does matter who's in charge. And it does matter that we speak honestly about what the real downsides can be. Uh, But today I I wanted to start with something a little bit different, a little bit less in the center of the news cycle. Oh, there's so much with Trump. And now that we got the Abraham Accords, we'll talk about that later on in the show. Um, but you know, the, the president signing these agreements for Mideas, for Mideas peace between Israel, the UAE and Bahrain. But I want to start with something else, because what has really roiled the country this year is we know that the twin pillars of our politics have been covid, the lockdowns, the response and BLM. Let's drill down into this BLM issue, which is really an ongoing conversation. That's one way of putting it riots and looting and violence and all this around this too but and police brutality discussions but it's really an ongoing conversation about race relations in this country and at the center of it there have been some theories some concepts that we've all been told we have to accept uncritically we can't discuss isn't it fascinating critical race theory is a, a doctrine that insists that you not be critical of the theory right? that you're not allowed. It's based in critique, but criticism for you of these ideas is not allowed. In that sense, it's kind of a rhetorical trick, isn't it? But this was fascinating. There's a, a guy named Matthew Frank, and he is a uh, associate director of the James Madison program and lecturer in politics at Princeton University. So this is a smart guy. Never heard of him before. And he wrote this. This was on the publicdiscourse.com, a site I've never heard of before, but this crossed my radar. And I want to tell you about this because it's fascinating and it's philosophically central to this moment we're in. Now, everyone else today is going to be focused on, oh, but you know, Trump did this or Trump said that. And Yeah, of course, that's part of our fight, and we have to talk about that on many days, too. But I want to take you into the philosophy of the fight for a moment. Because there are some concessions that have been made in our debates about all this. There have been some phrases, some uh, mindsets, concepts that we've adopted, consciously or not, that maybe we really need to take a step back and think much more about. One of them would be white supremacy. I've been trying to raise the alarm for a few years now on this show and in every platform and in every uh, area that I can. That white supremacy as a term has been expanded because it is so odious and hateful and wrong. Actual white supremacy, the notion of white people being better than other people is irrational, immoral and wrong. And we all agree on that. Right. The, the our society agrees white supremacy, bad white supremacists in movies are the bad guys. They're meant to be cheered against by the entirety of the American audience. And that is what happens. Right. They were the black boot wearing swastika tattooed skinhead bad guys of the 90s. That's what white supremacy meant. And you could take it back to Jim Crow and to slavery. And there has been real evil white supremacy in our history. But the term has now been expanded. Now we will hear that the judicial system is a continuation of white supremacy, that land ownership, that capitalism is white supremacy. These are all things the left claims. The expansion of white supremacy to include all these other areas is just meant to be 
a method of attack that you can't push back against. Well, are, are you in favor of white supremacy all of a sudden? No, I'm in favor of capitalism. Well, capitalism, according to our new Marxist overlords on the left and the Democrat Party, capitalism is a form of white supremacy. You'd say, well, wait, what? And they'll say, well, look at history and look what's happened. They'll try to make this argument. But ultimately, the argument is, are you in favor of they're just redefining what white supremacy is. So then you have to say, wait, hold on. I'm not in favor of white supremacy. Aha, you're on defense. You're on defense. Another area of this is systemic racism. Right. Systemic racism. Now, it's perhaps worth noting systematic racism would be a system that as part of its function produces racist outcomes. Systemic racism is just a way of saying it's all throughout the system. It's not even just one output of a process. That would be systematic. Systemic is the whole thing. There's racism oozing out of its pores. Racism just just billowing out from all over the entirety of the system. So systemic racism is really just a fancy way of saying everything is kind of racist that that the left doesn't like. There's racism in everything that they don't like. We've allowed this to creep into our conversations. And in fact, I've come across this many times. You'll have people who think they're intelligent, who think they're knowledgeable and wise. They're wrong, but they do believe these things. You'll have Democrats and even some Republicans. Look at Mitt Romney marching with BLM on his never-ending quest to embarrass me and everybody else who voted for the guy in 2012. And he's succeeding. He's succeeding in that quest. Good job, Mitt. But the whole purpose of this is to put you on defense because they'll ask you, are you saying there's no systemic racism? And you turn around and say, well, what does that even mean? And, and yes, in fact, I will say, where is the systemic racism? Because if you're just going to judge something by the output of a system without looking at either individual circumstances and, and other variables that go into a system, like the judicial system, for example, you would have to explain, is our judicial system systemically anti, in some ways it is anti-male if you ever spend any time in family court, but is it systemically anti-male because men are 90% of the, of the defendants in criminal court over violent assaults, more than 90%. No, that's, that doesn't make any sense. It's not anti-male, it's just, there are more males who commit violent acts than females. Oh, I know. This is, oh, is that, are we allowed to say this? Buck, why are, you, why are you speaking the most obvious truths that everybody already knows? You're not allowed to do that anymore. Isn't that interesting? Now, to borrow from one of, uh, uh, to borrow from one of Orwell's lesser known, to speak uh, the truth in a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. That's what it feels like right now. There is so much universal deceit going on, and part of it is this systemic racism construct. Now, this author that I mentioned you, Matthew Frank, he wrote a piece, an opinion piece in Newsweek, and it was accepted, and he wrote about this on the public discourse, as it was accepted on September 11th for publication by the opinion editor of Newsweek, Josh Hammer. I know Josh's work. Josh is a good guy. He's a conservative. He's trying to get diverse opinions on there. It was accepted and published on September 14th in the morning. Two hours later, the editor-in-chief of Newsweek, Nancy Cooper, just took it down. Just took it down. Who does that? You have opinion editors that are allowed to approve and put on the site things. Here you have an academic from Princeton who writes about whether systemic racism is a conspiracy theory. Which it is. We'll get to that. But they pulled down this piece two hours after its publication online, which is completely contrary. You're noticing this more frequently now that happened the New York Times with the publishing of the Tom Cotton op-ed. That op-ed editor had to resign because he published a sitting senator who, especially in retrospect, made not just an entirely within the bounds of discourse written argument, but was correct in the argument that he made that the rioting lunatics should face the force of the state 
Sorry, libs. But that was the Tom Cotton op-ed of the New York Times. Now we have this Newsweek op-ed. What was the crime, so to speak, that Matthew Frank committed here? Well, he wrote a piece about how systemic racism is a, effectively a hoax, that systemic racism as a concept is just abused for political purposes, and it does not really exist. It is, in fact, a conspiracy theory because you don't have any proof of it, and it is alleged to be disprovable based upon the emotional impulses around it. In fact, when you try to disprove it, that is taken as evidence that you have fallen for the, uh, or you are part of, I should say, the conspiracy. You are part of the conspiracy. That's why this is. It is a conspiracy theory. And this really upsets liberals. This really upsets them because they think that this is a this is now a centerpiece of their ideology, of their belief. Oh, my gosh, I oppose systemic racism, just like they oppose climate change, just like they believe in, you know, women's reproductive rights. These these concepts that they, they either speak about dishonestly or they become emotionally invested in without ever thinking, what is it that they're really claiming? What is what is the real claim of systemic racism? Is that there was racism in the past? There is racism today. If there's systemic racism, show me where it is in the system. In fact, the only systemic racism that really exists is in favor in our system of uh, black and Hispanic and Latino and Native American minorities in college admissions and for employment opportunities. That's the only systemic racial discrimination. And you can say it's positive discrimination. They come up with new terms to justify this, but it's racial discrimination. And as the Supreme Court has already written in recent years, if you want to stop discriminating by race, stop discriminating by race. It's very straightforward. But they don't like that. The left is invested in this. They derive power from this. They derive moral meaning from this jihad that they can wage without actually taking any risks themselves that's that's what's one of the things that's so seductive about left-wing politics and ideology all you have to do is espouse the approved phrases all you have to do is like a little marionette dance to the tune that they want you to and now they'll be nice to you they'll help you they'll promote you they'll like you and you're a good person so this is why we have you know these these libs, this is why you have, you know, a white female Wesleyan grad who thinks that she's a warrior for racial justice by screaming epithets in the face of a black police officer in D.C. who's just trying to do his job. That's how you get to that point in society, because people are invested in this. They they like this feeling that they get that is unearned virtue. Unearned virtue is central to the Democrat mindset today. Oh, I believe these things. I share them publicly. I take these positions. I vote this way. Therefore, I'm a good person. I don't even take the position that I vote for Republicans or that I'm a conservative because I'm a good person, although I think you could make that case. But I do it because I think it's just better, correct, right. It makes for a society of more safe, happy, prosperous healthy, free human beings. But we have to keep pushing for that. It's not just, oh, I take this position, therefore I'm better than other people. So what happened in this Newsweek piece? Why is systemic racism a concept that the left is so devoted to? Well, we should dig into this some more. But here's the the short version of what happened in this case with the piece by Matthew Frank. They could not allow the editor in chief of Newsweek could not abide a piece making this case without at least an oppositional piece running alongside it. That was the claim they made. You see, friends, they're always tilting the battlefield in their favor and looking at you like I'm not weighing in on one side or the other. I'm just a journo like we're all a bunch of idiots. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Is systemic racism a conspiracy theory? Brilliant stuff here from Matthew Frank. You know it's good because the libs panicked at the very mention of it, at the very title, 
the thesis, they can't handle it. You'd think if, if systemic racism was so easily proven, if it was so omnipresent, how many times have you heard about that? Turn on CNN. Turn on MSNBC. You'll have some half-wit expert go on TV who says, oh, we all understand that systemic racism exists and systemic racism and systemic That's just kind of a fancy, dressed-up way of saying racism. But then when you're saying, well, if you're going to talk about a system that produces racism, show me the racism in the system, you get nothing. You get nothing. The best they can come up with is disparate impact theory. And when you say, well, what does disparate impact theory tell you? It's, well, look, New York City. I know the prison system here a bit because I work for the NYPD. New York City, 90% of Rikers Island, which is the main prison for New York, is black and Hispanic. Now, are, are we claiming in this that or would they claim, I should say, that the uh, Bureau of Prisons or that Rikers Island, the New York Bureau of Prisons or Rikers Island is putting innocent people in prison? Is, is the system racist? Is that why the, there is that disparity in Rikers Island? L- let's hear them make that claim and then let's talk about that. M- maybe they're right, but let's talk about that. Now, I think that they would not be right, but at least we could. No, but instead, it's just you are told to bow your head in solemnity and say, you're right. You're right. There's systemic racism. And well, where? This is where Frank makes his most compelling arguments. And this is why the left was so upset with this. Um, Here he goes. Americans, quote, are talking constantly these days about racism. And if anyone needed reminding of its dominant historical form, specifically anti-black racism, it's still a very real thing, and we all have a stake in its eradication. But is systemic racism a real thing in the United States? To judge from the weakness of the case made for it, I would say no. In fact, the thesis for the existence of systemic racism looks just like a conspiracy theory with one salient difference from other conspiracy theories. Let me explain. My friends, end quote there. Th- this is, this is uh, thermonuclear stuff in politics now. You're not allowed to ask these questions. right? The libs take this as ground they've already won. They say systemic racism and the right runs and cowers in fear. And you say, w- why? Can't we talk? Show me this. If you want me to make this better, if I'm supposed to be an ally, which is a term that is much abused, but if you want me to be an ally with you, then point to where this is and don't expect me to accept false premises or lies or misrepresentations in the specifics. Ooh, it gets better. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Ah, yes, continuing with this uh, polled Matthew Frank piece. Newsweek doesn't like to write anything or doesn't like to publish anything that's worth reading, it seems. I also I love this conceit that conservatives and Frank writes this. Many conservatives know their views must always be balanced and contextualized in conjunction with liberal views in the mainstream media. But liberals opinions are never treated that way. One hundred percent. You see this all the time. I'll never forget when I was at CNN and I was sitting there with a a CNN anchor on set. And I asked her the question because she kept we kept doing these segments and it would be conservative political commentator Buck Sexton and political analyst Van Jones, political analyst or gurgling gurgling. I'm a hundred and eighty years old and. Sexton over here wasn't around for the Reagan administration, Nixon administration, administration of you know, Rutherford B. Hayes. I always, I'm like, why do we have this guy on TV? Or Jeff Zucker says I'm smart and I sound old and authoritative. But they would always say political analyst for this other person. It was always the other person was a political analyst. Why was I a conservative political commentator, but the Lib DNC propagandist who always got to talk more and didn't get interrupted. Look, CNN was great training. It was like going into the enemy camp for two years and seeing how all the sausage is made. And it's gross. But I would see this happen, and I I remember I asked the anchor, I said, why is that the case? And she looked at me with just this dumb stare, like, what do you mean? And I said, why am I always labeled 
as a conservative, but the liberal is always just a person who has expertise, a person with a point of view. Now, we all know the answer to this, but I'm when I tell you this, I'm being serious. She's she's now a an anchor um, on CNN and was she was an anchor then, but now she's a bigger anchor. And she looked at me and, and it was clear from her face. And this was off camera. I'm being honest with you. She just had never this had never occurred to her before. See, it's so you want to talk about systemic, systemic undermining and silencing of conservative voices in the American news media. That is systemic. It's all over the place. You see it. I'll show it to you. CNN doesn't even have real conservatives on air anymore. I mean, they got poor Rick Santorum, who's clearly got a mortgage to pay. So he shows up to get punched in the face over there. Feel bad for the guy. That's it. I mean, you know, what what are we you want to talk about a system that is a system that is thoroughly soaked with anti-conservatism. So and and I'll argue I'll talk about who are your contributors? How much time do they get on air? How often are they? You know, I can actually point to why I'm saying this is systemic. Where is the proof taking us back to our initial thesis here? Where is the proof for systemic racism in America? If they're going to talk to me about outcomes of systems only and not what is being done by the system i would i would say hold on a second lots of things have disparate outcomes right i mean you know i i i remember in crossfit class you know seeing my bench press versus you know you put all your stuff on the board and yes i could bench press more than all the women that doesn't make me impressive right but it's a disparate outcome yeah why you know, is there oppression in that system? No, that's just the reality of it. There was no there was no bias against the women. It's just I could, you know, I'm a dude. I could bench more. Right. I mean, who, who, who cares? I'm just feeling these days like the gym is so depressing. because I haven't been in, in seven months that I'll take I'll take <laughs> I'll take any upside I can. But my point is that just because there are differences in a system, unless you're a true communist or Marxist, you'd have to. And as we know, they create in many ways the most disparate systems where you have no rights or the vast wealth disparities are even greater than they would be in a system like our own. Anyway. But you, you, you see here, they won't even allow the debate to happen. They won't even allow the argument to occur. And they don't even they won't admit to the ways where they're trying to skew the conversation. So back to this Frank piece where he's saying that this is a conspiracy. theory. Conspiracy theories are a hardy species of weed. He writes anti-Semitism, whether left or right, thrives on them. Think of the foul fantasies of the protocols, of the elders of Zion. What else can explain the spread of the ludicrous QAnon? Uh, examples could be multiplied, but two related features mark all conspiracy theories. First, the lack of evidence for their central claims does not count against them. Indeed, evidence to the contrary does no damage to belief in them, but is regarded as either proffered, uh, proffered by the credulous or deliberately faked by the conspirators themselves. Second, the very denial of a conspiracy theory's truth is taken as confirmation of it, the denier will typically be declared to be in on the conspiracy himself. Of course, he would say that he's one of them. Judged by the presence of these two characteristics, that for its adherence is unfalsifiable and that denial is taken as a guilty confirmation. The proposition that American society and institutions are afflicted by systemic racism has to be one of the greatest conspiracy theories of our time, so widely believed, is it? And what is fascinating, the true genius of the theory is that it has no conspirators at all. It doesn't need them. In fact, their absence is central to the theory. This is, a, this is important. I mean, I, I know this isn't a huge news story today. Oh, you know, this is the latest Trump tweet. No, no. This is important. This this is if we're going to win, not just the battle for this election, but the battle for this country's future, we have to fight back against wrong ideas. We have to fight back against destructive, incorrect, divisive ideology. And and I, I have seen this. There is a pervasiveness now of, OK, well, 
The left went through a period and it went into the 90s where everything was racist. Oh, everything is racist. You watch the movie PCU and there's a group of, uh, you know, black activists on campus in it. And they're, they walk around and it's supposed to be a joke. You probably couldn't make this joke anymore, but they just walk around. You know, the tree is racist. The blackboard is racist. The, 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 the stones in front of me are racist. Everything is racist. Right. And if everything's racist, nothing's racist. And we understand that. But now they've added systemic to it. So it adds this pseudo social science veneer when then people feel like, oh, or was, maybe you're not racist. It's systemic racism. Oh, OK. It's kind of like uh, like the word strategic. You know, you add strategic to something and people all of a sudden go, oh, you're not just an analyst. You're a strategic analyst. Oh, OK. You know, strategic or senior. Right. Oh, people all of a sudden are supposed to think differently about whatever that is modifying a a senior advisor, a senior blah, 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 whatever it is. But now here we are with systemic racism being dissected eloquently and expertly in this essay and being declared a conspiracy theory. And you know liberals will lose their minds over this because people don't like to think that they've been swindled, that they've been fooled. And you can't read this and think that there's not a large portion of American society that has bought into this concept that's indefensible on the merits. That's just factually, bizarrely wrong. Uh, he writes, quote, it is usually the case with any conspiracy theory that the identity of the conspirator is a matter of some moment. There may be purported conspiracies whose some names are known or they may remain shadowy figures of mystery. But someone is at fault for the ills the theory claims to explain. Not so with systemic racism. The system, a college or a profession or the nation as a whole, is said to be suffused with racism and asking for the identity of the culprits is supposed to be a sure sign of the inquirer's naivete. The fault for systemic racism is no one's in particular and everyone's in general, or at least everyone not belonging to the aggrieved class of victims. This unique feature of systemic racism theory is indicated by its very name. As Brian Garner observes in Garner's Modern English Usage. Oh, this we get into the difference here. End quote. He talks about systemic versus uh, systematic. Uh, so but a thing, quote, is systemic if it affects or is a feature of an entire system system wide. Notice that no personal agency is required or indeed is any part of a systemic phenomenon. And there's the beauty of systemic racism theory. Who's to blame is never answered with any particularity that will fix responsibility on known persons. For the answer is why everyone. What could be more impervious to contrary evidence than a wholly impersonal conspiracy theory about human behavior? No one is responsible, and so everyone is responsible. And therefore, who, end quote there, who gets to be the arbiter of how we tackle this and deal with this? Well, the high priests of systemic racism theory, don't you see? Ah, it all starts to come together, doesn't it? So I'm, I'm, tr I'm walking you through this because this matters. They're using this concept of systemic racism to justify why your kids are learning in school now, the 1619 Project, and how America is a systemically racist country. They're using this theory to jam these, you know, diversity and inclusion program brainwashing uh, programs down, down your throat in, in, in companies across the country. Mandatory now. And you know, they have this like white fragility uh, fraud, you know, this con woman who goes around talking about the white fragility concept all the time. Oh, isn't that amazing? If you don't agree with my systemic racism idea, clearly you're like a fragile white person. See, it's all it's all meant to avoid debate, discussion, reason, argument, truth. It's all meant to avoid truth. It's meant to prey on people's emotions. You want to you want to be thought of a certain way. You want people to like you. You don't want to be under attack. You don't want to be under suspicion. So you go along with it. In that sense, it's actually very Soviet in its feeling too. just go along. Don't don't raise any issues. Go along. If you go against them, you're a counter revolutionary. You must be destroyed. And that's where it derives so much of its power from.
I wanted to talk to you about this because, one, it's always noteworthy when journalists like the editor-in-chief of Newsweek is willing to uh, abandon central precepts, central tenets, central uh, promises of the profession, right? A doctor who doesn't keep confidence with someone's medical records is not worthy of being a doctor anymore. A journalist who does not believe in the free expression of ideas and does not think that when you print something that, you know, is a is an opinion that one of your editors has put forward, pulling it to try to contextualize it in a way you won't offend your readers is doing intellectual violence to the First Amendment. But more than any of that, I suppose I just want to put you in a position today. Those of you who do me the great honor of listening to this show and we're about to get into all the news and you'll know everything that's happened in the, in the country by listening to this show, to be sure. But I do think the philosophy matters because when someone now thinks they've got you cornered or when one of your children comes home from school and thinks that there's only one answer to this question, when someone says to you, are you saying you don't believe in systemic racism? The answer to that question can now be, yes, that is what I am saying. Prove me wrong. Show me otherwise. And that, my friends, will drive the left completely insane thanks for listening to the best of buck daily podcast get more from buck by following him on social media at buck sexton on facebook twitter and instagram and don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. unleash the deep state i know it's not as cool as unleash the kraken but you get the idea that's that's what the democrat establishment wants right now that, that's what they're pushing for that's what they're hoping for with all of this, you're starting to see it all happen. Wow, it's so easy. No matter how humiliated you were in the past, no matter how clear it is that a government employee was engaged in the most grotesque politicization of his or her job, even if they violated uh, sacred principles of their own institution, even if they humiliated the bureaucracy with their actions. The deep state squad is getting plenty of airtime these days. Uh, no, no problem there at all. Easy to get on TV to be a deep stater and attack Trump. And we're just seeing the beginning of this last of this last effort. Let's start with oh, there's so many of them. Let's start with Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok. Here he is. Uh, here, here's what he says. How, how do we get them to start talking about Russia again? This is part of the plan. How, how do we get the libs an opportunity to call out Russia? Uh, because that's what they want to do. They want to talk about Russia, because even though you might say, Buck, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Buck. I don't know why I got kind of texts in there. But hold on, Buck. No, but really, even if you would say, we, haven't we proven that this is all nonsense? Haven't we proven that this is false? This is, this is strange? This is absurd? They would come back and say, what do you mean, that whole special counsel thing? They just didn't find all the facts, man. There's just more out there. Ah, almost like a conspiracy theory that can never be proven wrong. It was never even, and I don't know why this didn't catch on more. This was my initial theory about Ru Russia collusion even if Trump was willing to be that underhanded, which I do not believe, but just from a pure perspective of, of risk management for Trump and those around him, it's the dumbest idea in the world. You're going to work with the Russians. We're told the Russians wanted Trump to win. What would they get? What would Trump have ever gained from working with the Russians on this? And then think of the risk that he's taking. And at any point, the Russians can drop that. It's it's such a dumb theory. You have to be a a blanking, blinkered moron to think that this. But the country is full of people. There are losers without a thing to add to public discourse. They're not intelligent. They're not funny. They're not who have, you know, hundreds of thousands of social media followers now because they did the whole Russia collusion thing. Oh, I'm going to get to the bottom of the Russia collusion. Oh, this is he's a Russian asset. And they just it was just feeding into this mania. I mean, 
these people should have really just followed the Kardashians or something instead, not tried to stretch their little brains so far. Unbelievable. Now Russia's coming back, even though we've all been talking about this, even though we've had all these discussions. Now Russia's coming back. Here's Peter Strzok. Meet the press, the gold standard of political journalism, right? Meet the press. Here's Peter Strzok talking about how, well, I'll let him, I'll let, I'll let Peter Strzok say it. Play 17. Look, I think it is clear. I believed at the time in 2016, and I continue to believe that Donald Trump is compromised by the Russians. And when I say that, I mean that they hold leverage over him that makes him incapable of placing the national interest, the national security ahead of his own. That takes a variety of forms. I worked counterintelligence for over 20 years, and I recruited spies during that time, and I defended against those people who were being recruited in our government. One of the largest ways that people in foreign governments gain leverage, and certainly in the case of the president, is through financial entanglements. And I think when you take a look at the, the Trump financial enterprise, particularly its relationship with Russian, with Russian monies, and potentially those related to organized crime and other elements, that those interactions have placed him in a position where the Russians have leverage over him and are able to influence his actions. Based on what? Top counterintelligence guy, Peter Strzok, uh, FBI and CIA, people are never going to think of them the same way. And they shouldn't. Not after these morons have gotten through with lying to the public. Okay, there are financial entanglements. Where? And also Trump's a billionaire. How much of a financial entanglement do we really think we're going to have here? How much of a financial entanglement are we really talking about? All right. That's something that we need to know. Because they've also told us that based on the emoluments clause, they've also told us that President Trump has had his foreign policy influenced by diplomats, buying cheeseburgers and having martinis at the Trump Hotel. I'm not kidding. Oh, well, they're influencing him. Yeah, the, the 60 different countries that have had diplomats go have a cheeseburger or eat the delicious bacon at the Trump Hotel. Uh, they're, they're buying his foreign policy? $10 at a time? Again, this is idiocy. I mean, intelligent people can't believe that Washington Post writes editorials on this. What kind of leverage do they think they have? Meaning, what kind of leverage do they think the Russians have against Trump? What would it be? Oh, they're going to promise him a, a hotel? The, the guy's already a billionaire. He's built the, a, a global brand now that people will remember, not just for decades, probably for centuries to come. I mean, Trump is now in the history books. And, and the Russians have leverage. Remember when it was uh, the P-tape? But we're supposed to forget that the FBI believed that the CIA believed that at least the deep state libs who worked there did. They thought that there really was a Trump, uh, a Trump video where he's getting a golden shower from prostitutes. I mean, how much dumber is it going to get? They've learned nothing, though. You see, they can't they can't allow themselves. It's like somebody who's a religious zealot can't ever answer any questions about their beliefs, because even the, sm the smallest break in that in that in that mental armor will bring the whole thing crumbling down right even the the smallest chip in the wall of their belief can bring the whole thing down that's with people with weak faith people that don't have real arguments and understanding for their beliefs they're very sensitive about it it's true of the deep staters so you have struck and then you've got vinman the president oh here we go here we go play play uh, people this guy the whole whistleblower thing was this this loser who's like, I'm more important than Trump. I should be making a foreign policy on Ukraine. I was going to be Ukraine's defense minister. You hear about that story? Oh, yeah. Play 11. The president suggested you are a never Trumper. Are you a never Trumper? I joined this administration. Uh, I, the, I joined the president's team. I joined this administration uh, well into uh, this administration uh, with the, the hopes of being able to do my job, with the hopes of being able to advance U.S. national security interests. Um, I could say that I am now a never Trumper. I was not a never Trumper before. Uh, I was nonpartisan. I, I would be, regardless of what administration, I would just try to do the best I could to advance national security interests. Uh, but I think as the president's attacked and politicized me directly, 
we and um, in taking a very sober view of where this president is taking this country, the divisions, um, the catering to to our adversaries, the undermining of national security interests, that I am absolutely a never Trumper. Oh, now he's a never Trumper because the president was mean to him, but he wasn't a never Trumper when he decided to try to undermine the sitting president of the United States with this nonsense over the over Ukraine phone call. Right. And the whistleblower. Remember, I remember Adam Schiff. No, you cannot talk. You cannot try to find that may the identity of the whistleblower is sacred. It's sacred. A total construct, total fraud, by the way. No reason we can't know the whistleblower is trying to take down a president of the United States. And it basically was Vindman all along. Yes, I swear. Uh, but the, the libs never I say they never learn, but it's really just they never change. They never change their mind. They never change their attacks. They never change on on any of this. Uh, they're, they're impossible. Uh, rather, they're incapable of self-correction, a very important tool in life. Can you self-correct? Can you be honest with yourself about who you are, what you're doing, what you think, what you say? And is that the best version of you? Is that the most truthful version of you? Li- liberals... Again, if you pull one brick out of the wall of their their unearned self-esteem, their unearned virtue, they're worried that the whole thing comes tumbling down. That's why they have to shut themselves off from discourse. That's why they're not willing to have a real exchange of ideas. And they create all of these endless echo chambers for themselves and then try to shut down the few places where conservatives have real reach in the media for ideas that half the country shares but only about 10% of the media is willing to share. Oh, isn't that interesting? But the never Trumpers out there, you're going to see all of them. It's going to be like the, the best of never Trumpers. I mean, the, the compilation series that nobody wants, that nobody would buy. You know, now that's what I call never Trump. That's what's going to be. Remember those CDs? That's what's going to be coming your way. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. But we have to do much more. And when the president says all they have to do is rake the leaves uh, and ignore the, the, the climate challenge that we face, it's really quite sad. And I understand that he had an anti-science rally, is what the press reported. It was an anti-science rally in uh, uh, Nevada. So you see the, uh, the challenge is a clear one. But I don't have any uh, complaint yeah. about any of the cooperation that is being received from the national level uh, to our state in California. I can't speak for the other states. That's right. Listen to Chief Scientist Nancy Pelosi. Hey, it was it at the science rally. At that science rally. Oh, my gosh. They're going to they're going to cling to this mask mania for as long as they can. It's, it's the only thing they've got left because they abandoned social distancing with the protests. So they know they're going to get clobber on that. They can try to lie to people, gaslight us. But at the end of the day, they abandoned social distancing for BLM, which, as we now know, beyond any doubt, is a destructive, dangerous and and uh, ultimately really pointless movement, unless you think the point of it was to get Democrats elected and to hurt Trump and all that, then I guess it served some purpose and to allow people to express their resentment and rage through a political prism or in the name of a a political ideology. And that means smashed windows, stolen merchandise, looted businesses, burned out buildings. Sure, BLM did, did all of those things. But Trump held a rally in Nevada. I think Trump should hold more of these rallies. I think the Democrats are worried that he's running up the scoreboard and they don't want to see that. They don't think that that's acceptable. They want to do anything they can to undermine him at this stage. And you have, in my mind, at least uh, a Democrat party that is desperately clinging to this notion of the pro-science party that anyone who just gives it a few moments, honest attention will come back and say, hold on a second. You mean the party that believes men can get pregnant? There are 37 genders uh, that there is somehow no difference between men and women, except sexism is very real. That 
gender transition can occur before someone even hits puberty. I mean, you believe that and that a fetus is not a baby and that party. Oh, and, and that the, the Mother Earth gets angry and spew fi- spews fire all over the forests in California. And that's why that's happening. That party wants to lecture us all on science. You know, I worked out yesterday in the gym and I for at least a period of time because there was another gentleman in the gym. I had to have my mask on. So I'm doing deadlifts and like and like a a little old lady because I've had so much muscle atrophy over the last seven months. But I'm doing my deadlifts and I got my mask on and I'm breathing really hard. And all I'm thinking is, how does anyone think that is the the, the air I'm spewing this stuff out? The air is just. Going above and below the mask. Just I'm I'm breathing really hard. I'm shooting it all over. The, the mask is not stopping my air particles from flying all over. It's not doing it. But it doesn't matter, right? This is this is the this is what the science tells us. And the science keeps changing, but they're sure about it. They're sure about it. And then there's uh oh oh, let's hear from from the Lib's other chief chief scientist, Don Lemon. That's a terrifying thought. Play nine. Shame on the president for leading these people into this situation, but they're adults. Why are they doing this? Hmm? Adults who should know better. Science, facts. Good things are happening, he says. Good things are happening? Well, not with the pandemic, but you wouldn't know it from that crowd. Not with the pandemic or the wildfires or the hurricane, but the president doesn't want to talk about any of that. He is willing to risk the safety of his own supporters, as I just showed you, just for the picture of a packed crowd indoors so he can pretend everything is back to normal. Are you the mark? Are you being used? Hey, ha, 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 come in. Uh, uh, really? Are you willing to put your lives in danger? Okay, that may be okay, fine, you want to do that. But what about other people's lives? What about the vulnerable in society, in your family, that you are going to come into contact with? But think about someone other than yourself. Oh, oh! now, now it's all about the libs want us to be thinking about other people. They, they want you to be thinking about other people. But they don't want you taking a vaccine, even if the FDA says it's safe. But they want you to listen to the experts, but only when it comes to CDC saying wear a mask. Even though the CDC has changed its mask guidance so many times, I can't even keep it all straight. They want you to pretend that by wearing a mask when you enter a restaurant and then taking it off when you sit down at the restaurant, you're believing the science. They want you to believe that it's necessary for me in a gym that's probably, you know, 1,500 square feet by myself to wear a mask while I'm on a treadmill because that's protecting people. This is idiocy. It's not science. It just you apply facts, reason and logic to this and realize that it's scaremongering. It's lunacy. It's absurd. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to. You don't have to be as well read as Nancy Pelosi and Don Lemon. And you can figure this stuff out. And then there's the other ways in which they're deeply anti-science. And then there's the other ways in which they've got problems. For one thing, I mean, the Green New Deal is really just a crazy religious belief for libs. Mike Pence has called this out. Play 13. Joe Biden wants to bury our economy under an avalanche of red tape like his own version of the Green New Deal. You know, the only thing green about the Green New Deal is how much green it's going to cost all of us if they ever sign it into law. It's true. It's true. But they they think that they have the answers for the climate. They think they have the answers for California. You know, you know what the truth is about California? Fascinating. This guy Blumberg, who is from Copenhagen, from uh, Denmark, Copenhagen, part of the Copenhagen consensus. I think he runs it. Uh, this guy had an editorial in the New York Post laying out some of the points that I've been saying to you. The one thing that I that I will be honest with you. So he, here's what I knew before I read this, just from doing very basic research. Two degrees, maybe close to three, two degrees warmer in California. And they're telling you uh, over the that's about over the last 30, 40 years. And they're saying that's why there's the wildfires are so much worse. OK, be in a room that goes from 68 to 70 degrees and tell me if you think that that's going to cause that much of an atmospheric difference that there's a ma- there are massive conflagrations that occur. OK, put that aside for a second. I mean, look, just think this through. You don't have to be a, just think it through. And then also on the issue of 
how these are the worst fires ever. The wets are wet. The hots are hotter. The fires are burning more. The hurricanes and blah, 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 all that stuff. Right. Okay, let's think about let's think about that, shall we? For just a moment. Uh, This guy Bloomberg points out that there were much bigger fires seasonally that would burn in California uh, in the 1800s. That it wasn't until they started to apply some forest uh, forestry management to these areas of California that you, you would have much larger areas that would burn much larger year in, year out. And that the single biggest issue here is that there has not been uh, there has not been forestry management applied to this so that there's a tremendous amount. There's years and years worth of kindling undergrowth that builds up. Which means that when it goes, the fire burns much hotter, much stronger, spreads spreads much faster uh, than it did in the past. But that's because we have changed the way we deal with forests. But it used to be that there would be every year there'd be a big, big fires back the 1800s of California, big fires that would burn a whole lot more, much more than what is currently being burned. And now because we've we have firefighting that we do but not a lot of forestry management yeah it doesn't burn quite as far but we keep running into this problem because of all the undergrowth so it's managing the forest but even even just put that aside for a moment because libs will argue that let's go to the climate change thing here gavin newsom governor of california and eric uh, i think his name is eric mayor garcetti of los angeles they take the position that if we want this to stop We need to lead the world on climate. And if you think that a climate agreement that might get signed that would make Gavin Newsom happy in the next five or ten years is going to do a damn thing about forest fires in California, you're a moron. But Gavin Newsom knows that he's not he's talking to people who it's not rational. They've been trained to believe this. Does anyone really think that California changing its co2 output that that's that's the thing you know if they've got more solar panels in california if they have less co2 emissions in california that's going to change the climate in a way that would affect these forest fires that is a lunacy that's a and you know it just think it through it's a clear a clear lunacy but that's what they're pushing for you that's what the, this is what the party of science wants you to know. This is what the party of science. They're, they're not they're not about science. They're not about knowledge. They're about emotion and coercion and power. And all this other stuff with the environment is just they've replaced God with Mother Earth. It's pathetic. It's regressive. But that's what they've done. 